two pilots develop a friendship that stands the test of adversity. Are you just watching episode 143, Devotion? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And today we are going back in time to a movie that played in theaters the end of November, and I think the reason we didn't choose to record on it back then was there was something else we really wanted to talk about. But it is streaming on Paramount+, Plus, and it's a really good movie, and I think it's a, a good one for us to talk about. It is uh, based yeah. on a true story and has a really good message to it, and thankfully, despite, you know, the the subject matter, it's not woke. <laughs> <laughs> could very well have been. <laughs> it wasn't. Oh, so. yeah. I was really pleasantly surprised. Yes. So it, it's definitely a good movie to chat about. And I think this will be a good discussion, maybe dealing with some topics that we haven't talked about in a while. So yeah, this will be, mm-hmm. this will be fun. So before we get into a major discussion about it, I do want to mention a newbie for composer. I believe her name is Shonda. Does that sound right? Shonda Dancy? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Her name almost sounds Dickinson-ish. Yeah. It was interesting because when I was listening to the soundtrack, it kind of reminded me of the music that is with Downton Abbey, but she Mm. hasn't done Downton Abbey, so she may have been inspired by that. I don't know. But yeah, it was a really good soundtrack, fit really well with the movie, and it's fu- and it's a nice one to play, just to listen to. Yeah. I, I think it fits the era of the movie at the same time as fitting the action. And interestingly enough, she is a black woman, so I don't know whether they maybe chose her to score this movie because of her race, which I put race in quotation marks because I don't believe in race, I believe in ethnicity. <laughs> That she may have been a token higher, but in this instance, the I think The color it, of her skin. Well, no, it's not really the color, it's shade. We're all brown. <laughs> Some are just shaded darker. <laughs> different shade, different darker shades. Yeah. But yeah, she's maybe have been chosen to score this, you know, because of her ethnicity and gender. But regardless of those, she was definitely qualified and the music is good. So I have yeah. no problem with that. It's interesting because I think this movie kind of deals a little bit with that tokenism. And so it'll be interesting for us to touch on maybe a little later. And, you know, that perhaps the composer was chosen the same way. (laughs) It would be an interesting aside. But she definitely did a good job. And let me play a little bit of the music here. this movie. I had not seen it before, though I remember seeing trailers for it last fall, and I noted it as a movie that I wanted to see. I didn't make it into the theater. Somehow or another, end of November into the December is really busy time for me, and it's hard to get to the theater. But I was pleasantly surprised. It's a good movie. It's a true story about friendship And you know, you just can't really do better than a true story. I I think a lot of times when we fictionalize these kind of stories, 
it, it's really easy to to fall into stereotypes and how friendships work. Yeah. In this instance, I it, you know it, it's more real because it is real. <laughs> this one, I mean, usually with buddy movies or friendship movies, you can you can see the formulaic overlay of the story, and this one doesn't really have that. It's got you know what you would expect for an arc, but they really did a a good job portraying everything realistically without beating dead horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like Hidden Figures, we did a, a review of Hidden Figures back when it was in theaters, I think. A very long time ago now. It would have been, what, 2019, mm-hmm. 2018, something like that. One of the things that I really appreciated about Hidden Figures was that it dealt with the racism topic of the era, because you can't mm-hmm. talk about the 50s and 60s without talking about racism, because it was so prevalent back then. Yeah. But at the same time, it allowed you to see the characters using that racism to, you know, like being motivated by that racism to be better. Mm -hmm. You know, like they weren't using it as a crutch. They weren't using it as an excuse. They weren't feeling victimized. They were using it as this motivation to be better, to do better, and to rise above the expectations that others had of them. And I think that this movie does a very similar thing because it shows the tenacity that it took for people of color, you know, which was a lot of times the way they were referred to back then to make it to, to just normal heights and achievements that, you know, other people would take for granted and they had to work ever so much harder to get there. And they used that racism as a motivation to work harder, to be better, and to still meet those achievements. And it's just, uh, I don't know, I, to me, that is inspiring, because it's it shows that when you don't allow victimhood to suppress you, you can do so much better. And yeah. um, and, and that's what I think this movie does really well, just like in Hidden Figures. It shows that you can rise above your circumstances and... And that's beautiful. I I like the way that Hidden Figures did it better than I liked the way Devotion did it. But we'll talk about that more in in one of our themes. Yeah. Because I don't want to get into that too much yet. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to worry too much about spoilers in this movie. The movie has been out for nearly a year. So if you haven't watched it yet, I don't think you're going to be too concerned about listening to our conversation (laughs) without spoiling it. Not to mention it's a true story. It's a true story, yeah. yeah. It's interesting because I did talk to my dad. My dad is a huge aviation enthusiast. He is a helicopter pilot and a fixed-wing pilot. And you can get him talking about planes, all, and, and he'll just talk about them forever. So I called him and chatted with him for a while about planes. I just I wanted to understand some things that were in this movie that didn't make sense to me. Uh-huh. Like like the fact that they were concerned about the Soviets getting the Corsair when the Soviets were flying MiGs, which were jets, versus right. a the yeah the Corsair was a, a turboprop and the uh, yeah the MiGs were jets jets and so I didn't understand why they were so concerned about the Soviets getting their hands on the Corsair. My dad explained that to me, and it made a lot more sense after having <laughs> uh, having that conversation. So. So yeah, there were some things that I I wanted to touch base with somebody who knew it better. And I appreciated that. But I do want to say that from the standpoint of this being a true story versus 
you know, a fictional story, what was fictionalized? Because, you know, obviously when they make a true story into a movie, you typically have to have like movie things happen, like a beginning and an end and an right. arc and all of that kind of stuff, which a lot of times doesn't necessarily happen in real life. And so they have to like tweak events in order to make it fit in the time or to, you know, create character arcs that weren't necessarily there in real life. So there were some things in this movie that didn't actually happen the way they are in the movie. And I'm just going to point out a few of them because I think they are important to our discussion later on. The first is that Daisy, Jesse's wife, was never introduced to Tom Hutner before the actual award ceremony where he is uh, awarded Yeah, after Jesse is, is killed on when the battlefield. He receives uh, the Medal of Honor. Right. That's when they meet the first time. So in the movie, it makes it look like, you know, before they were shipped off to Korea that, you know, there was some time where, you know, he got to meet the family and there was some carpooling and when Jesse's car was broken down and all that kind of stuff. Those things actually happened. They just happened with a different pilot. So it was not Tom right. Hudner. It was actually Carol Mooring that that happened with. And then a very big pivotal scene in this movie never actually happened. And right. that is Jesse bombing a bridge and disobeying orders to do so. And then Tom having to put that in the report and having this heart to heart conversation with Jesse about, you know, about how right. things, you know, discipline always happens worse for a black person than it would for a white person. Just to provide some context for that mm-hmm. one, the bombing pilots had missed the bridge and had come under very, very heavy fire from Chinese placed AA guns that they could not retaliate against because in the very beginning of the Korean War, the U.S. government was so terrified of China coming into the war that they didn't want to do anything to provoke. So they did this bombing run on the bridge and you know, one entire side of the river was just lined with Chinese AA guns. And they weren't allowed to cross the river. Right. And they made a a big point in the movie about that. The pilots who were doing the bombing missed. They were getting ready to depart with the mission still not accomplished, deciding it was too dangerous. And Jesse decides that he can do it, is ordered not to by the acting squadron leader which was tom yeah yep and does it anyway and that's that's where he disobeyed the orders he didn't just bomb a random bridge you know (laughs) he didn't fly out of norfolk and hit the hrbt or anything like that it was a heroic disobedience yeah i mean he saved the day yeah but none of that actually happened so i imagine the battle happened but jesse disobeying orders and bombing the bridge didn't happen Mm mm-hmm The other scenes that were somewhat fabricated was the whole Liz Taylor in the casino. From what I could see in my brief amount of research, there was some meetings with Liz Taylor while she was there for the Cannes Film Festival. Mm -hmm. But they didn't actually meet there. I believe they said that Tom Hutner met her on the aircraft carrier as she came for a visit, and Jesse may have met her in a hotel restaurant while they were in France. So they were like disassociated meetings with Liz Taylor, but it was not as it was shown in the movie. Yeah. Where, you know, like he 
got the invitation for the whole squad to show up at the casino and all that. So Yeah. There was one other scene that was inserted and not accurate to history, but still served a purpose. Mm-hmm. Tom and Jesse did not shoot down a MiG. Ah. There are records of a Corsair shooting down a MiG, but it was a different pilot altogether. But each one of these um, deviations served a storytelling purpose, which I appreciate. Instead of just, you know, seeking to make it more exciting, Tom's meeting with Daisy ahead of time helped to show the importance of their friendship and to demonstrate Tom's character. Right. And the whole thing about Jesse disobeying orders and bombing the bridge was to demonstrate Jesse's heroism. <laughs> both heroism and his attitude on following the rules, which actually pays off a little bit later in the movie. Yeah. And that, you know, that's interesting because the article I read that kind of detailed that, you know, as being fictional, they said that mm-hmm. even though that whole thing was fictional, it really played to what we know about the characters of both men. Yeah. And so it was like, it could have happened. It wasn't like it, it didn't happen. It was fictional, but it could have happened based on the, the way they reacted to events. And so, you know, with Tom being very much a rule follower and Jesse being very much a maverick. So it was, um, yeah, it fit their characters. The Liz Taylor casino scene really served to set up the big save at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. For the squadron, and also to demonstrate the racism in a not so subtle way, but appropriate way, because they were French, so they were allowed to be snobby. <laughs> and from what I did read, it sounded like Tom did, on at least at one occasion, and possibly more, try to alleviate some of the tension when Jesse was refused service at, in another instance. So it wasn't okay. It was something that probably had happened in a different way, but yeah, I don't know whether it was necessarily ever that confrontational, like Tom picking fights because of it, but he definitely would stand up for Jesse in those mm-hmm. situations. The last one, the MIG, that was a pivotal scene to demonstrating how their relationship as pilot and wingman was developing. Mm-hmm. That was like the turning point and the fact that they used the Corsair shooting down the MiG from Korean War history Mm -hmm. just because it's such a cool fact. And I can appreciate that. Well, to add to that cool fact, speaking to my dad about the importance of the Corsair, he said it wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily the plane that was an issue, you know, falling into Mm -hmm. enemy hands. It was their gun sights that was the issue. Because they actually had, the U.S. had revolutionized gun sites back then that allowed them to actually track a plane in the air and anticipate where it was going to be so they could shoot ahead of it instead of behind it. And that and the radios were the things they didn't want the enemy to get their hands on. So it wasn't so necessarily the plane tech. It was the tech inside the plane that was... Yeah, the technology so is always what yeah. you need to keep out of enemy yeah. hands. So he said that was what would have allowed a Corsair to shoot down a MiG and a MiG not mm-hmm. to be able to shoot down slower aircraft because they didn't have the good gun sights. So, yeah, still, you know, all four of those served a purpose in my mind and I don't mm-hmm. begrudge them any, any no. of them. No, I think it, it pulled the movie together. I mean, like I said, you know, when you're dealing with a, a true life story, 
you don't always often have that neat end beginning and climax and and all of that. So and character yeah. arcs and all of that. So you have to add some of that in in order to make a two hour movie make sense. Otherwise, it just starts in the middle and ends in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> they did a good job adapting this book, and the the changes they made makes sense. I I liked it. Yeah, I, I really did. In general, army movies don't really have a lot of interest for me, or military movies. You know, in part because my history, my family history, we all have ties to military service, and we watch them with a slightly more critical eye. You know, it'd be like, oh, man, his rank is upside down. Now I'm just out of the movie entirely. <laughs> or, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, it it brings back memories about training and, and sacrifices that military has to make. And it, it can be a little bit uncomfortable, but... In a good way, I, I sort of liken it to a dentist appointment. I very rarely am sorry that I watched it after I finish it. <laughs> uh, Monument Men was just, was the same way. That that was far enough back that it wasn't as pertinent for me, and, and it was different enough with the jobs that they all did. But anyway, I did enjoy this one. They did a great job of telling the story of these two pilots, these two men, Jesse Brown and Tom Hutner. And they used everything very skillfully to serve the story in good ways, yeah. which is really uh, lacking in Hollywood recently. You know, it's not really about the Korean War. It's about two men who happened to fight in the Korean War. And I think that yeah. that's what maybe makes it a little more palatable because it's not really a war movie. It's more about them than it is about what they're doing and where they are. And yeah. the context obviously is important, you know, where they're fighting and why they're there. But I, I think it's not really a war movie. Let's put, I mean, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's more of a friendship movie. <laughs> yeah. One of the ways you see that, it, and this is done in a lot of, a lot of movies. I still haven't watched 1917, which I have on my list because it's such a groundbreaking film, but, in a lot of Hollywood movies, they take the, these humongous wartime missions and they make them smaller. And they, they did that where Jesse broke off to, to bomb the bridge and disobeyed to bomb the bridge on the Yalu River. And in reality, this, this attack on the Yalu River was days long. And YF-32 did multiple flights and they did escort and they did bombing and, and, you know, it was just this massive effort of hundreds of planes and soldiers and sailors and the whole works. Hollywood always breaks them down into much smaller pieces, much smaller conflicts, because you don't want to make the main characters unimportant. <laughs> because when you're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of people, really, you know, one or two people are unimportant, but they they used it the same way they used all the other inaccuracies to serve the purpose of demonstrating the conflict between the natures of Jesse and Tom. Mm -hmm. Whereas Jesse challenges the system and Tom was, you know, a by-the-book graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, and it fed into the relationship in such a way that it made the, the movie a much better piece at the end. So, yeah, I mean... This movie worked. It was good. And now that 
we've dealt with some of the things we liked and even just, you know, a few things that I don't even say we really have any strong dislikes about this movie. It's just more like yeah, tempering what we liked with maybe a few things. So before we move into our discussion on the themes of the movie, I do want to remind you that you can share your feedback about you know, what we you think of the podcast. And believe me, we really do love getting feedback. Got some really good feedback about our Indiana Jones episode in our forum on our Discord server this last month, which I really appreciated. But you can do that by joining our Discord server, which you can get to by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash Discord. That will give you an invitation to our server and you can join and take part in discussions we would love to actually get discussions going on a regular basis and make it kind of a go-to place to come and talk about movies. It doesn't even have to be movies that we've reviewed. It can be TV shows that you like to watch and movies that you've watched that we haven't reviewed that you want to point out something, you know, interesting context from a Christian worldview about. So we would love to invite you to come join us there and start some of these discussions. And then you can also join us on Facebook by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash community. You can comment on the show notes, which will be for this episode at areyoujustwatching.com slash 143. And then we also would recommend that you call our number 513-818-2959 to leave a voicemail. You can also text that number. So if you just want to send a quick text, hey, I just love what you guys are doing. Or you can say, oh, I just hate what you're doing, whatever. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to tell you what hey, to say. <laughs> both of them are valid feedback. Yes, they, we, we would love the feedback. And, you know, just sending a text every once in a while really helps us out because that is a Google Voice number. And if it's not used on a regular basis, we do lose access to it. So I would appreciate getting the occasional text just to keep it up and running. So our first big theme These themes that we're going to talk about, I think they're all very strong themes in the movie. And so these are, I think, all things that the creators of the movie intended us to take away, to actually walk away with from this movie. Yeah, agreed. And so I think it's going to be interesting to actually talk about themes that were big walkaways from a Christian worldview, because I think they all fit very well into a Christian worldview. And this first one is about using adversity to make you stronger. And that is, from a Christian standpoint, it's not so much using adversity to make you stronger, but using adversity to learn to rely on the Lord so that his strength mm-hmm. can show when you're weak. But in this instance, I think it's it's a good reminder that, well, what is it, that old proverb, that which does does not kill you makes makes you, <laughs> makes you stronger. stronger. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I know that's not a biblical proverb, but it's definitely a true to the saying. Or as my middle school gym teacher would say, pain is weakness leaving the body. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is true that, you know, adversity does make you stronger. But I think what is so important about the way that it is expressed in this movie is that Jesse makes a point of using the adversity in his life as a stick to motivate him to be better and be stronger and to rise above. and. There's a several scenes. In fact, the first scene that you see in the movie is Jesse. You don't actually see him. You hear him standing in front mm-hmm. of a mirror, insulting himself with all of the things that people have insulted him with. And 
Tom kind of walks in on that and he hears it. And that's like the first scene in the movie. And so mm-hmm. it's something that you see him do again and again throughout the movie is like stand in front of the mirror and say these hurtful things to himself. And he explains to close to the end of the movie, actually, that every hateful word anyone's ever said, he's written it down and he repeats it to himself. And he's been doing it since he was a boy, which historically is accurate. In fact, they, from what I could read, they knew that he had done it when he was a boy. They weren't sure whether he was still doing it when he was mm, in the Navy. Interesting. But it was definitely something he had done as a boy. And what I found interesting about it was when I, in the article, and we'll we'll put the Screen Rant article that I found in our show notes, but they said in this article that he told people he did it because he wanted to be able to respond properly when people insulted him. So it was like he was insulting himself, using those insults against himself in preparation so that when other people said it, he could respond correctly. And it was kind of like Ah. preparation for the insults so that, you know, when, when people insulted him, he would not like react emotionally and get upset or whatever. He just learned how to just be very stoic and take it and, um, and not let it put him into a fighting mood or whatever. And in this movie, they, they made it look a little bit more like he was using it as a, as a motivation to help him, you know, overcome the adversity of his life. Yeah, I really felt like he was using it to, as an emotional sink, to use his anger to to fire himself up, mm-hmm. which yeah. I was a little uncomfortable with that. It's definitely not how we should do it, but it's certainly understandable. He had endured. What yeah. a, a black man would have to have endured, born in the, what, the 1920s, right? 1924, and then becomes the first black American pilot in the Navy, Mm -hmm. just he went through some horrible racism. Mm -hmm. And I can certainly understand it. I don't I I don't think I could have handled it anywhere near as well as he did. But I was uncomfortable with him using it as a place to put his anger. But, you know, it's 2020 hindsight. It's easy to look at it and say, oh, I could have done better. But I definitely couldn't have. No. And, and you know, the, the issue is, is, is that by doing that, by, like you said, using it as an emotional sink, it allowed him to be able to turn the other cheek when he was in situations where normally people would have reacted badly to the insults. Mm. And so, in a way, it, it allowed him to have a more Christian response in the actual instances where people slighted him or were rude or said mean things to him. That he yeah. could walk away from the fight, which in the movie they show Tom was not so willing to st- stand down and walk away <laughs> from the fight on Jesse's behalf. He he felt, you know, very upset about that because he was able to sink so much of that anger and hurt into his mm-hmm. his little, uh, you know, episodes at the mirror. I don't know how long you would call that. His psych-up sessions, psych-out sessions. Yeah, I I don't know what you would call it. But yeah, since he was able to, you know, unburden himself of all of those reactions and emotions privately, then he was able to behave in a better way when it happened Mm -hmm. in public. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think that worked out better for him because it allowed him not to get in fights and to not be disciplined for, you know, the, the kind of behavior that it would have necessarily generated otherwise to put it that way. So yeah. Allowed him to turn the other cheek, which is biblical. 
It it is. It is indeed. And unfortunately, racism isn't a thing of the past. It almost certainly will not be until a certain savior comes back to Earth and <laughs> yeah. sets up his kingdom. Yeah. But the Bible has a lot of feedback as to how we should be handling this kind of abuse. Like you said earlier, one of the first things that should come to our mind is we need to fall into the arms of our Lord. Psalm 34, 17 and 18 say, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit, which is just a a beautiful, beautiful vision. And we're reminded, you know, that we need to be emulating Christ. In 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 23, it says, For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And it's an impossibly high bar. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be. Yeah. And I just, you know, I'd said earlier, the turn the other cheek, the actual scripture for that, I think it actually is in several of the Gospels, but yeah. the one I'm familiar with is in Matthew five thirty-eight through 42. It says, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to see you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And the context for that, I think, is is really strong in this movie because it would be so easy to say, you know, if you're going to insult me, I'm going to insult you back. If you're going to slap me down, I'm going to slap you back. And Jesus said, you know, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to turn the other cheek and give freely and and not react in the way that the world would normally react so that, that we're different, that we are perfect as our Father in Heaven is perfect. It actually goes on to say mm-hmm. in Matthew 5. So it's an impossibly high standard, but I think you know, the fact that Jesse was able to find a way to interact with the people like the Marines on the ship who are so willing to be rude and mean to him. You know, you see yeah. towards the end that his whole squadron really believed in him and stood by him. Tom may have been his wingman and his best friend, but the rest of the squadron, for the most part, really stood by him as well. And that was important. Yeah. Yeah, it was. The comment that you have in our notes says he doesn't fight back and always seeks to avoid confrontation and or purposefully ignore insults. And I put in the comment that he ignores the insulter, but not the insults. And I thought that was an interesting difference because, you know, it goes back to that line where where he said, I, I write every one of them down. Mm-hmm. He doesn't record who said them. He just writes down the insults. Yeah. Yeah. So it's exactly. not like he, he's not keeping a diary of all of the things that people have done to hurt him or all the people that have hurt him. He's mm-hmm. just reminding himself of what the insults are so that he can prove himself better, I think. You know, yeah. this is not who I really am. And during this day and age, I mean, in many southern states, you still saw separate water fountains to use a, a common reference for white people and black people. 
mm-hmm. and racism was rampant. So I thought it was interesting that he focused on the insults and not the insulter, which seemed like if you got it, if you're going to do it, it seemed like a good way to do it. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that 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 fits very well with a Christian worldview as well. Is that we are supposed to be willing to forgive and forget quite. You know, that, that goes back to that, you know, turn the other cheek that, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're not supposed to be keeping a list of how we've been wronged and expecting some kind of justice for that. And, and, you know, that's man's justice. It's like we, we expect, you know, the whole eye for an eye thing. It's like we expect to see justice in this world that is equal to the insult. And I think that as Christians, especially, we have to let go of that need to see that justice in this world, because we know that there is justice in the next. Yeah. There are two possibilities. Yeah. Either the person who you think deserves justice is going to get it, or Jesus already has. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the powerful one. Jesus already has. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, next time somebody yells an insult at you, (laughs) think of this. In a year, in a day, in an hour, he might turn to Christ. Yeah. And then he'll be your brother. Yeah. <laughs> in a real sense. Yeah. And you'll be eating your words. <laughs> yeah. So Proverbs is something that we go to frequently. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, it, it's so pithy. Yeah. <laughs> but I grabbed two verses out that say essentially the same thing. The first is Proverbs eleven twelve, Whoever shows contempt for his neighbor lacks sense, but a person with understanding keeps silent. And twelve sixteen says, a fool's displeasure is known at once, but whoever ignores an insult is sensible. <laughs> That's and, a good one. And uh, that one really seems to apply. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because, I mean, he purposely walks away from confrontation over and over again. In fact, to the point, at least Mm -hmm. in the movie, that Tom is actually a little irritated with him. It's like, why won't you stand up to these people? (laughs) And it it was interesting because Tom was the the by-the-book guy. Yeah. I think part of that is Tom was looking at this going, you should not be this rude. That is just wrong. It's against the rules of society. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's why it bugged him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the next theme, which kind of rolls into this, I think this is one that is one that I struggle with a lot. And and it's a lesson that Tom learns through in at the end in this movie. And it's being present rather than a problem solver. And mm-hmm. this speaks to the type of friendship that we have with people. And this is something I struggle with because God gave me an analytical mind. When somebody presents a problem to me, I want to find a solution. And I can't rest until I find a solution. And a lot of times the things that I'm trying to fix are not things that I am, you know, qualified to find a fix for. But because I'm so driven to solve problems, I will give advice or stick my nose into things that I probably should just, you know, not be involved in. Because I Mm. see a problem and I feel like I should fix it. And that is, in the context of this movie, as we just mentioned just a a minute ago, you know, Tom is always trying to solve the racism issue. You see this from the very beginning when he walks in and introduces himself to Jesse. But he doesn't seem to be overly concerned with, you know, Jesse's ethnicity. It's not something that he seems to see or care about. But 
as the movie progresses, you see that he's more concerned about the way people insult Jesse. And so he wants to stand up to them. He wants to take Jesse's part and defend him, which is a good thing for a wingman to do. I mean, wingmen typically have each other's backs, right? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the whole point. <laughs> you know, the, for wingmen, you know, when you fly in pairs, you have each other's back. So in, in person and friendship and all that, that's just the way he wants to do it. He wants to fix these issues. And throughout the movie, you see Jesse tell Tom several times, I just want you to be there. I don't want you to try and fix this. In fact, one particular line in here says, just be my wingman, pal. That's it. Forget the lifesaver and get in the water. And mm-hmm. that means it's like, quit trying to save me. Just be here with me in this and be my companion yeah. in this. Don't try to rescue me. I don't need rescuing. And in fact, in one, another point, he says, I can fight my own fights. I've been doing it for a long time now. I don't need you to fight this for me. And then there was another one. And this was actually in a in context where... Carol, I guess, who had been a longtime friend of Jesse prior to Tom even coming on, you know, into the squadron, he actually missed his landing on the a carrier and is killed. And the first thing that comes out of Tom's mouth mm-hmm. is a critical statement about how Carol could have landed better. And so Jesse's like, just because you think you know better doesn't mean you have to say anything. And when he said that, it was just like, yeah, that's pointing a finger at me because I do that sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you insert comments into situations where they're completely unnecessary. One of the secrets to my marriage is that I have had to learn to keep my mouth shut. Mm, yeah. And just listen and yeah. be there. Yeah. I've mentioned before that my wife is an insurance agent. And she sometimes needs to vent at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And it's, I can't fix the customers. No. <laughs> and I shouldn't try. <laughs> yeah. It really is important just to feel like you have, it's not misery loves company, but it's that you know you have somebody who will be there with you. You know you're not alone. Yeah. And that's important. It really is. Yeah. I think that that is, like I said, it's it's a lesson that I think I need to learn. I know that not everybody has this problem. Some of it is a character trait. You know, like if you are a problem solver, then you mm-hmm. enter every situation yeah. as if it's a problem you need to solve. And when somebody's grieving, sometimes you don't need to say anything. You just need to be there. You just be the shoulder that they can lean on or cry on or whatever. And it's sometimes for some of us, that's a hard lesson to learn, (laughs) to just be there. Yeah. You need to get comfortable with silence. Yeah. So, you know, that that was kind of the question I asked, you know, is that, you know, Tom learns this important lesson from Daisy at the end, you know, that he comes to her and he's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't save him. And she's like, I didn't mean for you to save him. You know, he doesn't need anybody to save him. I just wanted you to be there. And in the end, you were. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, the the whole scene at the end where he he literally crashes his own plane just so that he can go over and try to help Jesse get out of his plane. And so, you know, that could have gotten him in a lot of trouble. Yeah, you know, but he got blessing first from the squadron leader. Yeah, he did. Yeah. 
which was right in line with the character they had spent the entire movie developing. Yeah, he's like, I've got to go down and see if I can get him out. So, so yeah, that, that scene of him just being there, and, and he was very upset that he could not get Jesse out of that plane. But in the end, he was there with him and gave him... Jesse could have died by himself in that plane without anybody yeah. else there. And because... Tom went back for him. He was able to give, you know, that last last message to his wife and all of that. So it, it was important that Tom was there and he was there. He went out of his way to be there. And that is, I think, one of the most important things about this movie is that lesson to just be there for your friend. Boy, did he go out of his way to be there. Yeah. <laughs> He trashed a what today would be a multi-million dollar aircraft to be there. Yeah, and they ended up having to go, which I thought was interesting, just kind of an aside. In the text at the end of the movie during the credits, or right before the credits, they said mm-hmm. that the the Hutner and the Brown families have become, you know, staunch friends through the generations, and yeah. that Daisy and Tom never stopped trying to go back and fetch Jesse's body back to the States. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, but they scuttled the planes, so there would not have been a body because it's- there'd still be remains. The way that they scuttled the planes was they used napalm. Yeah, you know, there's still going to be skeletal remains and and all that. And Hutner was actually prohibited from going to North Korea mm-hmm. until 2013. Yeah, and that's when he started trying to do it again. But he would be 90. Nine now. I, I don't know if he's still alive or not. He is not. No, it said there at okay. the end, it said that after he and Daisy died, that their families remained friends. Oh, that's right. So. Yeah. I mean, even now they're still trying. So. Yeah. Well, North Korea is still not a friendly place. So. <laughs> no. It is the unhappiest place on earth. Yeah. I bet the Chinese collected the remains, though. I don't know. I mean, it would depend on what happened to the remains of the plane, I guess, whether there would have been anything yeah. to collect. But he was definitely trapped inside the plane. So oh yeah, the plane would have probably been melted around his remains. In the movie, they had incoming enemies, so they didn't have a lot of time to rescue him. But in reality, the helicopter came and the pilot and Hutner, the pilot Bama. <laughs> yeah. And... Hutner tried for several hours to get him out and then decided that they needed to head back to the ship, uh, head back to camp, get tools and come back. And they wouldn't let him come back. No, they did. Oh. They actually made two trips Mm. and they were still unable to get him out. Yeah. He probably, the reason he died was he probably bled out. They It was a very brief scene where it showed not only was his legs trapped, but he was literally... It was, was, they were all, almost amputated. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a sad occurrence that, you know, all of that happened. But back to the theme we were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I did pick out a few verses of scripture uh, about, you know, how we are to operate within the family as brothers and sisters of Christ. I think it fits very yeah. well with friendship as well. In Colossians 3, 12 through 15, it says, Therefore... As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
forbearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bound of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. And then in Proverbs 18.24, it says, One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Then in Proverbs 27.10, it says, Don't abandon your friend or your father's friend, and don't go to your brother's house in your time of calamity. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. So that's kind of the person who is close to you is the one that, that you would turn to in the time of calamity. And then I got to thinking, you know, from the standpoint of being there and being present and not being a problem solver, you know, the friends that come to mind scripturally are Job's friends. So when you go through the book of Job, and I think it's kind of funny how we handle the book of Job sometimes, because a lot of times when people are just, you know, like just picking scriptures, you know, random out of the Bible that say things they like to hear, you know, or, you know, just randomly, mm-hmm. oh, this, this, doing word searches and just picking, you know, verses out of context. A lot of times they will use <laughs> verses from Job to, you know, make a point. And if you go back and look where that verse came from, it was Job's friends giving him advice. The, yeah, and, the bad advice. It's bad advice at that. So, Job's friends, you know, Job goes through, you know, he loses his kids, he loses all his his livestock and all his wealth. It just vanishes, you know, burned and attacked and stolen and killed. And and then he's, you know, attacked in his body and he gets Mm. sick and he's sitting in his own misery. And his friends come and, you know, they kind of just slap him around. You know, it's like, oh, this is your fault. And let, yeah. let us tell you what you've done wrong so that you can fix it and get better. They're definitely doing the whole problem solving thing instead of just being there as a comfort. And that's a good reference. I like that. Yeah. And, and that is, I think, a good reminder to people like me <laughs> who wants <laughs> to always fix their friends' problems that sometimes you, you definitely do not want to be Job's friends. <laughs> so it's a good reminder. <laughs> Don't sit down and pinch a friend who's already down. You know, it's like you want to sit and, and listen and hear what they actually need from you and not try to solve problems that you are not capable of solving. And mm-hmm. even if you are capable of solving them, you got to be sensitive as to whether your friend actually wants you to step in and solve those problems. You know, there's a good way of looking at that from a biblical point of view that you, that just, you know, be sensitive to the situation and what your yeah. friend actually needs. Be quiet and be there. Right. Yes. It's a lesson Tom learned. Yeah. Through the, the, through the movie. So. And, you know, he didn't actually grasp it until the ceremony. Right. When he was talking to Daisy. Yeah. Which I appreciate because it was it was sort of like an emotional reveal. Yeah. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I mean, you look back on things and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, wait a minute. I have a situation here that I dealt with this way. And now that I look back on it, you know, this is what I could have done better or this is what I did right, you know. And so he learned from that and I, he could take that. I mean, obviously, you know, his friendship with Jesse was at an end. But he could take that lesson and apply it in other situations. 
And mm-hmm. I think the fact that their families stayed so close together through the generations is a testament to the fact that he was able to learn that lesson and go forward with it. Before we move on to our next theme, I do want to speak briefly about our audience and the, those who support us on a monthly basis. I want to thank Isaiah Santiano, David Lefton, Peter Chapman, Stephen Brown II, and Craig Hardy, all of whom have given to us on a very regular basis. And you could also donate to this podcast by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash watching either one of those and consider giving us a, a monthly gift of, you know, whatever fits into your budget. It doesn't have to be a lot. And if you give $5 or more a month, uh, you get mentioned in every episode that you support. And we thank these gentlemen for their longtime support. It does add up over mm. time and we really thank appreciate you. it. Yeah. You know, that funds all of the things that we do. And it's interesting. I just found out like in the last two months that we get our stats through Blueberry and they have decided to make their free stats only good for 30 days now. So I can't see the total oh. stats anymore. <laughs> so I have to start paying. Yeah, I have to start paying for that so that we can see our stats. Not that it's horribly important, but we do thank our supporters for giving us the funds that we need in order to host a, yeah. our, our program. So. We really appreciate that. So what we both consider to be the main theme of the movie, the theme that the movie makers wanted the audience to come out of the movie saying, ah, it's about trust. Mm -hmm. And it really is an undercurrent to everything that happens in the movie. And and everything that happens in the movie feeds into it. Mm-hmm. in in a really good way and and there's one scene where the squadron commander is talking to Tom just after Tom took the lead as a in-air squadron commander for the mission on the Yalu River and he says this war never ends there's no V-day there's no finish line the real battle in all of life is being someone that people can count on that isn't defined in a single moment. You earn that with a lifetime of showing up. And it really is about being there for your people. And when Tom goes to walk out at the end of that scene, the commander asks him, what's the most important thing? And Tom replies almost without hesitation, bring everyone home. Yeah. And that's the kind of trust that these pilots have to have in each other. They have to believe that every part of their organization is devoted to bringing everyone home. And it's even more poignant because throughout the course of the movie, you learn that Jesse could not develop that level of trust because of all he went through. Yeah. And you know, if even half the stuff is true that they have in the movie, and we know it is, yeah, then it might even know, have been it's worse. Disgusting. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I found it very easy to empathize with Jesse because of how they work so hard to present him in the movie. Yeah, and there's one particular scene where Jesse's talking about why he can't have. 
the same level of trust mm-hmm. that Tom has in his wingmates, in his landing safety officers, you know, the whole thing. And Tom and Jesse are arguing about the accident that killed Carol. Yeah. Carol's accident and, and how Tom responded to it. Mm-hmm. And Tom is defending himself. He says, what's the one thing they told us about the Corsair? Remind me. What'd they tell us about the Corsair? You can't punch the throttle. Mistakes get us killed, Jesse. And it's a completely valid point. Yeah. But Jesse has this different perspective. He says, you don't die if you do what you're told. And then he starts talking about what he went through. The swim test in flight school, they made him do it 10 times. They didn't believe he could swim. They dumped ice in the water. They put weights in his flight suit. They held him underwater. He says, they wouldn't have cared if I died in that pool. But every time I made it out. And then he talks about flying the previous type of plane, which was the Bearcat. And he says, I got used to flying the Bearcat. You could see everything. You could see the entire deck on approach. It's all right in front of me. I could land that on my front yard if I had to. But the Corsair, and this is because the Corsair had a much larger engine. Mm-hmm. And the the pilot cockpit is lower in the airframe. So they could not see over the engine. But the Corsair, he can't see anything. So Tom says, you have to rely on the LSO, the landing safety officer. And Jesse says, it's hard to believe that the LSO won't crash my black on purpose. I can't tell you how many times people have told me to give up, to quit, die even. That's why you can't always do what you're told. If I did, I wouldn't be here. That's something I was trying to teach Mooring. And that's really poignant. Yeah. Can you imagine being a firefighter who can't trust that, you know, your brothers aren't going to come in and get you out? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has a position of, he's had it beat into him through his whole life that he can't trust anyone but himself. And even when, at the beginning of the movie, when he's, Tom's trying to become his friend, he tells Daisy, I don't know him yet. You know, it's like, I, I don't mm-hmm. know whether I can trust this guy yet. You know, Tom's going to have to earn that by a lifetime of showing up, you know, like his yeah. squadron his leader said. said. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely a very strong theme in this movie that you see, you know, the reason why most wingmen can trust each other and why Jesse had such an excuse not to trust anybody you know, and that is necessary. I mean, like the scene with the MIG, which, as you pointed out, was not did not really happen with, with right, these right. two. But why it is such a strong scene in the movie was when Jesse and Tom first flew together. Jesse kind of put Tom through the ringer. You know, I was kind of like, "Can yeah. you keep up with me?" <laughs> kind of thing, because he definitely was a, a maverick when it came to flying the Bearcat, especially. Mm-hmm. And so. They basically are trying to keep the MiG off of their mission. So they, the two of them break away to fight the MiG so that the MiG won't yeah. mess up the So the everybody else can go on. Yeah. yeah. And so Jesse has to play the bait to, to line the MiG up so that Tom can shoot it because they can't chase a MiG. It's, it's much faster than they are. And so they have to like use the terrain and kind of trust that you know, your wingman is going to be there where you expect him to be and be lined up to get this 
this MIG off his tail. And so that yeah. whole scene was to show that as wingmen, they were building that trust together so that Jesse knew that if he led this MIG to the location where Tom told him to bring it, Tom was going to be there and he was going to get that MIG off his tail. And it worked out perfectly and they learned to trust mm-hmm. each other and that was a, a team building exercise. Yeah. <laughs> so the top speed of the MIG, by the way, was 250 miles per hour faster than the Corsair. <laughs> yeah. It was amazing that he was able to lead it through the canyon like that because you'd think the yeah. MIG would have had to overtake him just so, because it had to go faster. I mean, jets have to go faster, they can't fly right. slower. It's- yeah. The Corsair is so much more nimble, you know, uh, of an aircraft. And, you know, the minimum speed of a Corsair, 89 miles per hour. (laughs) You can drive your car faster (laughs) than the slowest speed of the Corsair. Yeah. So, I mean, the pilots, they use that to their advantage, too. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's fascinating, the idea of the Corsair and the the MiG-15 facing off against each other like that. Yeah. Really fascinating. And and it goes just goes to show the superiority of the US pilot in a slower plane yep. with better gun sights. I mean it mm-hmm. it obviously could happen or they would not have stuck it in the movie like that, but Right. It did it did happen just to other pilots. That is something and you know, knowing a little bit I don't know whether I I've ever mentioned this or not, but there is a book that I read it's uh, MIG Pilot, The Final Escape of Lieutenant Belenko. Hmm. It is a story about a Soviet uh, fighter pilot who defected to Japan in the 1970s. And he brought his top secret MIG-25 Foxbat with him. He basically oh, wow. flew across the strait and landed in Japan on fumes. Huh. It's a really good book, and it's really hard to find because it's been out of print for ages, but... I read that story. I actually heard him talk. I think it was on on a radio show or something. But mm-hmm. I w- I've been fascinated by the story for a very long time because in his story, he tells about what it was like for Soviet pilots and their training exercises and, and how they were treated in Soviet you know culture and community and, and all of that. And the reason why he defected and brought his MiG to the U.S. and all of that. So it, it was a, a really good information, you know, because like in this movie, all you see is a MIG. You don't think about the pilot who's flying that MIG. Right. Yeah. And so I highly recommend it. if you can get your hands on the book, like I said, it's been out hmm. of print for ages. Maybe they have a ebook of it now. I don't know. A lot of these books are being resurrected now that we have ebooks. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, the paperback is $35 on Amazon. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it does look like it has a Kindle. Yeah, the Kindle's only six forty six, so if you can read an ebook that, that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I highly recommend it because it kind of gives you the I be I was a child of the Cold War, so being able to right. understand, you know, the people, not just the Soviets as a faceless mass, but the people that were behind the Soviet Union that made up the Soviet Union, so many of them. And, and I think it's a good reminder, especially today, because the young people now are become so enamored with socialism and communism mm-hmm. that they don't understand uh-huh. the horrors of it. And I yeah. think it's useful to be able to read the perspectives of people who actually lived through that and had to escape it. And just a reminder, you know, that it's not as good as it promises it to be, but that's off topic. 
Babylon B put out a video not too long ago showing a college kid preaching socialism to a Cuban refugee. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I know that that's a little bit off topic from our trust, but it made me think about, you know, talking about the MIG and everything. It made me t- think about that. Mm-hmm. that it, you know, that in this movie, the Chinese and the Soviets are just, you know, faceless enemy. You never really see them one on one. But, you know, though there were people that gave their lives for a bad cause, really. Yeah, you make an interesting point that a lot of people don't know is that the Korean War was North Korea against South Korea, but the Chinese backed the North Koreans. The MiGs were Soviet planes, and the Soviet Union provided them to the Chinese with pilots for the the Korean conflict. So, you know, it was not a clear-cut case, and it was definitely two major communist countries supporting the North Korean dictatorship. Yeah. I did want to make one last comment on Tom and Jesse. You know, when writers writing a story, he or she does a good job when they make their character sympathetic. Mm -hmm. But what they've done in devotion is they've made it easy to empathize with the characters too, which I thought was a step above and beyond. They really did a good job. I I came out feeling like I knew the characters, which is so much better than a lot of the stuff that we see. Yeah. And you know them in a good way. Yeah. It's not that for all of their faults and you know, the good things and the bad things about them. They were definitely characters that you come out of the movie thinking this is, this is the way it should have been. You know, the, these yeah. were, these were real life people and they demonstrated real life virtues that we should all mm-hmm. strive to replicate, I guess, in our, yeah. in our relationships with each other. And, you know, that was one of the many themes that it, that I had identified as these two guys are hands down. Nobody can argue that these two guys are not heroes. Yeah. They are, but they're not perfect. And they don't sugarcoat that in this movie. There is one scene that I honestly was frustrated with the character of Jesse when he was arguing with Tom for putting his disobedience in the Yalu mission into a report. And I was like, dude, it happened. (laughs) It's all on the radio. It's all recorded. It has to be in the report. Yeah. But it helped you understand the character of Jesse. And it just, they did such a good job with it. And you can empathize with a character. You can empathize with with a character that isn't perfect so much easier Mm -hmm. than you can empathize with Captain America. Because <laughs> they're, well, they're real people. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, they may be, you know, portrayals of real people. So they, but, you know, they're portraying real people. These are not just two dimensional characters that somebody wrote a script uh, around. They, they are real people that had a real story that is being told by people that are t- attempting mm-hmm. to give you a glimpse into what their lives may have really been like. And so, truth is always a better story. Yeah. When you can form a story around something that really happened and people who really existed, I think it always comes out better. And mm-hmm. this may not be the greatest movie ever made, but it's right. definitely a good movie to just 
watch and know, you know, find out something you may not have known, because like they call it, you know, America's Forgotten War. Everybody forgets about Korea. And yeah, there's an elderly gentleman in, in my church who is a Korean ver- veteran. And it was just really interesting hearing him talk about Korea, because so many people like my dad's a Vietnam vet. So I've heard a lot about Vietnam growing up. But the only thing that I really know about Korean War is that's where MASH took place. So, you know, yeah. it's like, that's all of our, you know, our childhood was growing up. The only thing we really knew about the Korean War was the TV show MASH, which yeah. was a comedy. So it's not like it, it accurately portrayed what it was like to be in the Korean War. Yeah, yeah. Two of the quick little mini things that I saw, and these are not really themes, they're just more like comments towards, you know, just the Christian worldview. I thought they were worth bringing up. Yeah. One of them is a the Marines, when they were being held down in, do you remember where that was? The- Chosen. Chosen? Okay. Yep. They were being battered pretty powerfully by the Chinese. They, they said, I think they said in the movie that there was like six Chinese for every one Marine. Yeah. So they were vastly outnumbered, and really the scenes in the movie made you think a little bit of what it, what it was like in the trenches during World War One. So it did not look like a comfortable place to be. And mm. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> so there was a scene in there where the two Marines, which you'd actually been introduced to earlier because they had hitched a ride on the same aircraft carrier that our heroes mm-hmm. were on. They were saying, so you know any good prayers? And the other guy says, oh, come on, we've seen worse than this. He says, but if you want a prayer, dear God, send us some angels. And soon after they say this. Yeah, within a minute. Within a minute of them saying this prayer, here comes the fighting. VF-32. I put in my notes, they're actually stationed here in Hampton Roads. Yeah. (laughs) They're 15 minutes away from my house. That's cool. Yeah, I imagine they fly a lot different planes now than they did back then, but yeah. That they do. <laughs> Very. Although it would be cool to see, of course, there. Oceana Naval Air Station does an air show every year, which is really very interesting. Yeah. There's actual another reference to angels in later on, actually, just soon past this, because it's in this sortie that Jesse Brown gets his plane shot down. Mm-hmm. And so they also call the helicopters that come uh, to, to do search and rescue, they call them angels. So there's a lot of reference to angels on the battlefield. And one of the things mm-hmm. I, you know, is that, that they say that prayer will always exist as long as there is war because there's no such thing as say an atheist in a foxhole. Exactly. Yes. You know, there, it's very true that when there is adversity, we turn to prayer. A lot of times, even those who don't know who they're praying to will turn to prayer. Yep. And that is always a reminder that we are spiritual beings that acknowledge in our own hearts, as it says in, in Romans 1, that we have no excuse not to acknowledge the fact that there is a creator God who we are answerable to in judgment and in mercy and in grace. And so, you know, when you're in an adverse situation, the first thing you think about, whether you believe in God or not, you know, is prayer. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. And then the last thing I wanted to comment on was the epitaph that they give Jesse. Yeah. The captain of the aircraft carrier gives it across the PA. The PA, yes. So he says, yesterday, we lost a great aviator, Ensign Jesse Brown. His loss is felt all across this ship and will certainly be felt all across our nation. Our country needed Jesse Brown. And the thought that I had about this is that 
you know, earlier on, they had the scene where they had the Life magazine crew trying to get pictures of Jesse with his plane and trying to get him to say things about being a black man and yeah, and, as a naval How hard pilot. it is to be the first black aviator. Yeah, exactly. And Jesse just wasn't giving them what they wanted, you know. But in the end, I think they were really treating him very much like a, a token, you know, like mm-hmm. he was the token black man in the Navy not necessarily Navy officer, I should say, because they did have a lot of black crewmen, but he was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. First, the token black pilot. The token Navy, black pilot. Navy pilot. So, yeah. When they say yeah. our country needed Jesse Brown, they were kind of using him as a symbol. And I wanted to return to that. And he was. He was. Yeah. He was definitely a symbol. Yeah. I mean, look at how he encouraged the black crewmen yeah. on the aircraft carrier. They they got together and bought him a Rolex in France. <laughs> Yeah, he was a huge encouragement to not only them, but, you know, like when they flew over the Marines and they said, oh, we've got a Negro pilot. You know, they were super excited about that. So it's like, I don't think they meant that in a bad way. I think it was just like it was right. it was motivational to them. And so he was a symbol. And I wanted to return to that because when we talked about the music, I, I mentioned the fact that the composer may have been a token hire, but she did a wonderful job. And I looked back at her filmography and it seems like she's done a lot of really like targeted films Mm -hmm. that are more cultural. And I'm thinking it's like, sometimes people feel like they have a niche because of who they are. And I think it's trying to figure out how to phrase this. I think it is a good thing when people are able to break out of their niche and be yeah. that symbol to other people. And I don't necessarily believe that everybody needs to see themselves in a movie or in music or in politics or in leading. You know, it's like that. that's kind of like this victim culture that we have today where, you know, if you don't see a gay person in a TV show or a black woman as vice president or whatever, that you can't see yourself doing that. But I do understand the value of symbols of people who have achieved so that you know that that achievement is possible. And I think, you know, Jesse Brown was a necessary symbol in that era. And I suspect probably by the time we got to the Vietnam War, it was no longer a big deal to see black pilots because he broke that ground. I I think Vietnam is probably a little too early to say that. Yeah. Yeah. it, It definitely by the time you got to the Gulf War. Or the Cold War. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So, I mean, somebody broke the ground and raised that ceiling a little higher so that the next person mm-hmm. could reach it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, he was an important person. I did, um, before you joined the podcast, I did a a combined review of 42 and the Red Tails. And I dealt with this ah, topic quite good. a bit. In fact, well, we can put a a link to that in the show notes, because I think it was a really good review. I did it solo, so it's not quite as a give and take as something that like we did here. Because Jackie Robinson is actually mentioned in this movie several times. Yeah, as a cultural reference. As a cultural reference, right? And the Red Tails were important because Jesse Brown may have been the the first black aviator for the Navy, but there were right. black pilots in World War II, and that's those were the Red Tails, and that was a, yep. a really the good the Tuskegee Airmen. The Tuskegee Airmen, yes, very important movie that which was also quite fictional, but at the same time, very good. So yeah, 
Well, I think that will do it for this podcast. We thank you so much for listening. We have not decided what we're doing for September. So if you have any suggestions, we are all ears. <laughs> That's, you know, I just want to say I'm looking forward to seeing Blue Beetle. Oh, okay. It's a superhero movie, so we may not want to do it. <laughs> but if people would like to hear it, let us know. I'm planning on seeing it anyway because I love the lead. Okay. He is one of the lead characters in, in Cobra Kai, and he does a superb job. And Blue Beetle is very Hispanic or Latinic friendly. <laughs> so I'm interested in seeing how they work the culture into that as well. So, Huh. I'll have to look that one up. I haven't, haven't looked at that Entertainment one. purposes for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that I've got Paramount Plus, at least for a little while, I might be interested in maybe picking out some Star Trek stuff to do from, from there. Oh, yeah. So well, that, that might I've be been, kind of fun. I've been a Trekkie since the original series, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did do... I'm trying to remember what the last Star Trek thing... I think it was one of the newer Star Trek movies that we did a review of. But. Did we do a Star Trek movie? I think we did Beyond, didn't we? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I think we did that one. Anyway... That is that for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm still Tim Martin. <laughs> and don't just watch. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.